begin, but I think we can begin. It's uh, Q and A. Is quandaries and anecdotes. I think that I think that's what it stands for. So, anyone uh, like to begin? First question. Afternoon. Um, I've been meditating for about 15 years and uh, it feels now like I've come up with all sorts of techniques for zoning out uh, and still looking like I'm meditating. Uh -huh. um, and I'm starting to wonder whether I'm where I'm going with this and, and if in another 15 years I'll be almost further back and people often say oh well you know you're probably progressing it's you know but I'm actually wondering whether I'm doing the right you know what I, what I need to do now to wake up more it feels like I'm awake like 2% of my sits or something like that yeah. Would you say it's it feels like low energy, like you're in a sleepy, dreamy kind of state? That's pretty close, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that that can be a kind of a a, a bad habit to get into. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing to look at is to pay attention to the posture. Make sure you're you're sitting upright. That the, the spine is is erect. You know, don't let yourself nod off. Um, the, then you know, if once that the body is is uh, looked at in that way, um, you have to examine exactly what you're doing with your mind. You know, le letting your mind drift. Is not is not good. Um, there's there's something that the Zen tradition talks about called sitting in the ghost cave, which is uh, a type of mind that it's sort of a, a false samadhi. You feel like you're meditating, but you're actually just sort of, as you said, zoned out. Um, the Thai forest tradition uh, uses a term bawanga, which comes from Abhidhamma, although they use it a little differently. Uh, it's a state of, it's again a, a false samadhi that there's, there's a certain degree of concentration, but there's no energy or focus. Uh, and I, I think what's often missing in those cases is a, um, uh, a, a lack of uh, sort of precision in the mind. Uh, people sometimes try and uh, develop awareness by um, develop vipassana by uh, practicing a kind of choiceless awareness. And that's very difficult to do without falling into that kind of a a drifting state because there's no point of focus so um, uh, 
we we use uh, uh, the breath or uh, budo, the mantra budo, uh, or uh, the sound of silence. You, know, you need some kind of an anchor, and um, not allow the mind to get into that that kind of drifting state. You need you need um, something to to uh, center the mind on. What kind of a practice do you do you actually actually do? I know how do you meditate? Uh, <clears throat> I think it used to be mindfulness of breathing, you know, breath meditation, and then um, I think it's got more lax. Over the years, I've become, or well, lax might not be the right word, uh, I think less focused on, yeah, a bit more broad, maybe. Um, I mean, it's not all bad, you know, but there's some, <laughs> there's definitely some benefits, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's not, if, if anything, the thing that gives me most focused is actually doing something really basic, like counting the breaths or, yeah, you know something quite physical almost. Yeah, you see, when you have something, something specific like that to to use as a point of focus, then the meditation is is sharper. But if you're just trying to be kind of um, free form with the meditation, unless you have you know, very good samadhi established already, you're just going to fall into that kind of drift. Thank you. Anybody else? Hello, Ajahn. Um, I'd like to ask you about uh, Lungpur's uh, reflections on the deathless. Oh, can you raise your hand? I don't know. I'm see over you, so. here. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, when Lungpur was talking about the deathless, um, the other evening he said that um, enlightenment was closer uh, than Hemel Hempstead is to London. Uh, and yes. he seems to put forward this idea that um, it's just about awareness in this moment. And I noticed that in my own mind, um, when I'm hearing him speak, at first I, I feel like I, I uh, can appreciate that. And then the thinking mind comes in and says, it can't be that easy. Mm -hmm. there's, <laughs> there's something that I have to do there's uh, something that I have to realize that I haven't realized yet. And um, I also f it seems that Lungpur is saying that, that this perspective we need to see through the idea that we have to get somewhere. Yes. And I'm just wondering what would be your advice on that because it feels like it's a very, very strong inclination of the mind to think that there's something to be achieved. Yes. Uh yeah, I th I thought that uh, that was a very good uh, very good phrase of of a long pause. Um, the thing is, you 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 need to uh, flip your thinking around. In, instead of thinking of uh, the goal as somewhere to go, something to attain, something you don't have already. Uh, you need to think about think of, of it in terms of uh, what you can give up, relinquish, abandon. Uh, 
Sangsara is essentially something we do, moment by moment. Uh, the mind is driven by desire to take an object. This is pared down to the simplest um, momentary level. This is what samsara is. The mind is desirous of an object, takes an object. And the nature of things, because of the three characteristics, the object is not satisfying to the mind. So the mind immediately goes out looking for another object. And we do that moment after moment. And uh, Nibbana is when we stop doing that. Uh, and, and it's not something additional. It's just something we, we, we keep missing because we keep uh, grasping at objects instead. Um, <clears throat> if you make it in your mind to be just one more object, then that's a false view, and you you just uh, caught you're still caught in the same game. Uh, so don't think of it as something additional, something out there to get. Think about this conditioned existence as how can I abandon this? How can I stop playing this game? Thank you. There's a did you get that yeah, yeah, okay. I, um, uh, Ajahn, so my, my questions on um, from this morning's reflection on the characteristics of not-self, um, and it was surprising for me to, when you were uh, in the sutta, it says um, that, you know, form feelings, uh, mental formations, um, perception um, are all not-self, but and that, that seems reasonable, but what surprised me is that consciousness um, has been... Um, Part of not self, and then yeah. when the sutra, yeah, when the sutra continued, it said, well, "Well, consciousness is impermanent, and things that are impermanent are painful." Yes. And the final part of the sutra said, "You know, um, you know, the five bhikkhus were listening, and they said, when they got disenchanted with feeling, form, disenchanted with feeling, disenchanted with perception, disenchanted with mental formations, but actually the final step was disenchanted with consciousness." Yes. Uh, and then they seemed to have awoken, and. Um, it seemed a conundrum for me, like we're trying to surrender to consciousness, but yet there seems to be like some sort of final um, letting go of that uh, 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 and seeing that as it, it was more to ask, you know, there seems to be subtlety in there, something in that to mm -hmm. understand, uh, and I'm wondering what it's pointing at. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That, that's actually a very good question. It, um it brings up a big issue. One of the one of the um, difficulties in in understanding that is the language that the word that's used for consciousness in that in in that sutta and in suttas generally is vijnana, and um, the word that uh, uh, if you attended to a long pause um, desana is about. Um, mind knowing mind and, and consciousness knowing itself. Uh, he did use the Pali occasionally as citta. It's a it's a um a word that's used more often in the Abhidhamma. And that is the citta is mind in uh, in its quintessentially subjective aspect. 
All chitta does is know. It's just the knowing mind. That it has, uh, it, uh, and it's not. Um, it, it it can be hard to grasp or understand, not because it's complicated, but because it's so absolutely simple. That's all it does is know. Uh, and not even know in the sense of to understand, but know in the sense of to experience, to 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 be there with. Vijnana is a mode, uh, we could say it's a modality of citta. It occurs uh, primarily in the suttas in, in um, a few different contexts. One of them is the context from this particular sutta is the five aggregates, the five kanda. One of them is vijnana. Uh, it also occurs as a list of six vijnanas as the six sense consciousnesses, the five physical senses and the mind sense. And it occurs in the dependent origination as one of the steps in the dependent origination. So it's this um, consciousness that's, that vijnana um, is consciousness that's bound up with form and uh, and the taking of objects. It's a it's that process. Yeah. Um, so in 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 one sense it's the same as chitta, because it's it, it, but in another sense it's it's just, it, you could say it's a particularly limited form of chitta. It's a, the the way we operate in ordinary samsaric conditioned existence, the way consciousness operates is, is with vijnana. And vijnana is impermanent because um, at this moment your your consciousness is one thing, it's vision or hearing, and the next moment it's something else, it's mind, sense, or touch. And it's always constantly taking an object and a different object at each moment. So it's it's effervescent that way. Does that clear it up at all? There's actually a lot more that could be said about that topic, but it's it's a it's a big one. And you know, if you want to um, investigate it, look for writings on on chitta and on jnana and try and sort that out. Thank you, Anjan. Afternoon, Anjan. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I'm relatively new to the practice of anapanasati or, or mindfulness of breathing. Um, I've done a technique in the past where the mind's sort of quite actively moving from one object to the next object to the next object. Um, yeah. And so in, in trying to establish uh, mindfulness of breathing, I, I noticed the tendency, um, the mind sort of wants to go quite focused onto the breath and sort of to the exclusion of other objects, but it seems like the instructions several times has been to really sort of remain somewhat open to the external world yes. as well. Um, yeah. But then I sort of notice in, in sort of trying to develop uh, that yeah. balance, sometimes it feels like it's far too focused, other times it feels like it's far too unfocused. I was curious if you could just say a few words about in, in what way peripheral awareness relates to the more sort of centered focus on the breath. Yeah, uh, it well it depends what you're trying to do with your meditation at this given time. At the instructions that um, the Ajans have been given on this 
been given on this retreat have been generally on the theme of uh, developing awareness through through um, through the chitta and using the breath as a vehicle. Um, so then you would, uh, you know, practicing in that way, you 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 don't want to be overly focused just on the breath, but it, it's also useful from time to time to try and develop samadhi and experience jhana, and in that case, the skill is to learn uh, the art of non-attention. Of disregarding whatever else arises and, and allowing the breath to fill the mind. Yeah? That's sometimes difficult for people who start let, um, uh, start their meditation uh, practice with a, a focused Vipassana technique because they're taught to regard everything, which is correct when you're doing that. You know? But then you have to learn the art of disregarding okay? and, uh, and it's it, there are different ways of holding the mind so it uh, neither one is is uniquely correct it just depends what you're doing at this moment maybe with regard to the the former that you mentioned sort of remaining to some degree open to peripheral objects yes in this case Again, just from the former training I've done, it there's a tendency to sort of want to leave the breath behind, go observe something else, yes, and come back to the breath. Is is that correct, or is it really a matter of letting the the objects pass through the peripheral awareness? I think it's more letting the objects pass, you know. And this particular practice um, uh, is uh, I, I the way I like to phrase it is center yourself in the chitta, in the knowing mind. Um, uh, there are um, many different ways of practicing meditation. And in uh, the Burmese tradition, which I actually started with Mahasi Sayadaw tradition, that was my original practice, uh, it's all about observing the object, right? All the language, the way of speaking about it is pay attention to the object of consciousness. Uh, they... Uh, Thai forest tradition, particularly coming out of Ajahn Man, Ajahn Mahabua, Ajahn Cha, they they talk about uh, being in the chitta, right? So you're you're centered in that knowing mind, and let the objects be as they are. Now the. The really, uh, when either one of those types of practices is well developed and going well, it ends up being the same thing. If you're centered in the chitta, you'll you won't miss any objects. And if you are not missing any objects, then the mind naturally centers itself in the chitta. So it's really just a a, a matter of language of you know how you're describing the process, but it ends up being the same thing. Mante, I've got uh, uh, two related questions. Uh, the first one is on something I believe uh, Duampo Sumedhu said on Sunday, uh, possibly. He said something along the lines of that uh, 
the eye, the nose, uh, are sankharas, yes. and also feelings are sankharas. Yes. But as far as I've uh, understood, the five khandas are rupa vedana, sanya sankhara vinyana, and uh, eye and nose, those two belong to form. Yeah. And feelings like there are separate khandas in the five aggregates. Yeah. So it was quite confusing for me. Yes. I'm yeah. sure there must be a Yeah, reason. no, there's a simple uh, simple explanation for that. It's just, it's, again, it's just a question of language. The word sankara in Pali has um, a range of meanings. Uh, in the list of the five aggregates, it's referring to, to a certain class of, a specific class of mental objects. Um, but it's also used in a more broad sense to mean all conditioned things, which is the way Lung Pao was using it and, and um, uh, Ajahn Sachito was using it in his talks. Uh, Sankara uh, literally means built, something built, something compounded, uh, built up, right? So any any conditioned thing is a sankara in that sense. So that includes Vedana and um, uh, Sanya and, and Rupa. They're all sankaras in that sense. But in the list of the five aggregates, we're talking about a specific class of mental objects, of which the Surimaga lists 50, 50 sankaras. And they're, they're like uh, Chaitanya and, and Pasad, Adimoka. There's a specific list, and they're uh, mental formations. They're the created objects of the mind. So the, you're just you're just using the word in. It's found in the Pali in the original text, used in two different ways, just different degrees of specificity. So it it's, it shouldn't really be a source of confusion. Thank you, Bhante. The second question is also uh, quite related. You may have uh, answered that already in a way. Uh, it's uh, about Sankara again. Uh -huh. uh, could you kindly give some examples for Sankara and elaborate on what Sankara means in uh, those five aggregates? Yeah. Um, like I said, there's a list of 50, and there, there are things like Chaitana, which is volition or will, Adimoka, attention, Pasa, contact. Um, uh, Wittaka, Wichara, which are two two types of thought formation. Uh, broadly speaking, we could say that um, it's thought, broadly defined. It's it's that it's the uh, concoctions of the mind. So also belong to Sankara's mandate. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Hello, Ajahn. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. Just to follow on on the question, first question. Like, I would like to ask, as a lay person, how we should practice and um, in our daily life, so that our spiritual practice gets stronger as we get older and get yeah. wiser yeah. and um, 
like Ajahn Sujito say, it is very important to find a teacher and follow the teacher. So I want to understand how, as a lay person, we could do that in order to strengthen our practice and do we look for one particular monk or nun and go back to that nun or monk and check our practice or what should we do and um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Now that can be very helpful if you have someone that um, you you relate to you, that you, you feel confident in their in their teachings and if you have access to that person you close to them live close to them or even if you can contact them electronically but it's not absolutely necessary that you just that you know have one teacher um it's it's it is useful to consult uh, a teacher now and again you know to to check up on your practice it can save you a lot of time can save you from going down a lot of dead ends and wasting time. Just adjust and correct your practice a little bit. Um, but the most the most important teacher is is inside. It's your your own experience that uh, you have to uh, learn to have some confidence and faith in your own in your own wisdom, letting it unfold. And, and don't make the mistake of thinking that the practice is only when you're sitting down with your eyes closed on a, on a mat. You know, it's, all, it's all day, it's all the time. You should be trying to develop sati sampajanya. Um, and it can be a very useful, like this... Uh, Thai forest tradition way of speaking about go, finding your true home in the chitta, that can be very, very useful in daily life. If you find yourself caught up in uh, a confused turmoil of thoughts or emotions, um, difficulties with other people or with your work or whatever it might be, if you can find your that center then you'll have much more clarity and ability to deal with your own mental states. Um, uh, I like to think of think of it as a as a with a, a kind of a spatial metaphor that the knowing mind, the chitta, is the center, and the sankaras and the the emotions, the thoughts, that's the periphery. And if you're centered, you can see all the periphery. But if you're caught in on the outside, you're whirled around, and you're not centered anymore. You're off balance. Well, so keep trying to come back to that, that center. And the more you can do that in the midst of difficulties and, and busyness and complications, you know, the, the stronger you'll be. That's, that'll, do, that'll be immensely useful to you if you, if you can find that knack. As you could say that we might be caught out in um, whatever turmoil is around us and and um, how do we do that because sometimes 
we are always in relationship. We have to have relationship with a lot of people, yeah, yeah. and that kind of difficult. And when you're caught up in that kind of situation, how do you um, know that that is kind of situation whereby you should just leave it alone, or where is that situation whereby you just have to persevere? I mean, it's easy to like watch a movie and let um, things happening yeah. around you. But if you're involved in that relationship, in that yeah. conflict, it's yeah. kind of difficult. And sometimes I, in, I think that it's all because we have this ego in us. But if we practice to remove this ego, and probably it will help. But um, by practicing, I just find that it's almost impossible. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, well, don't, don't set, don't, to begin with, don't set up the idea in your mind that it's impossible. It's, it's, uh, it might be difficult at first, but you, you, you can learn it. You know, it's not something that's impossible at all. Uh, one simple, uh, kind of trick that, uh, that some people find very useful uh, is just to switch the way you think about your emotions. Uh, like, if you feel yourself getting angry, don't identify it as, I am angry. Identify it as, here is anger. So the, it's something, the emotional turmoil is something external to your core being. It's... Um, it's like you're sitting inside a nice warm cabin with the wood stove going and, and there's a, a raging blizzard outside and you're sitting there in your chair with a cup of tea looking out the window. <laughs> you know, the blizzard is still there. You don't make the blizzard stop, but you, you don't identify with it. You don't, it's completely different than going outside and trying to run against the wind into the blizzard. You know, which is what you do when you identify with the emotional states. Good afternoon, Ajahn. Um, I've got a question uh, regarding something Long Po mentioned last night. Um, mm. It's to do with Sabe, Sankara, and Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. um, but then he also mentioned the knowing is not a Sankara. Yeah. So that oh. would imply that the knowing is not uh, anicca. That's my own interpretation at this yeah. point. But in a um, practical level, the practice is for me is um is a continuous process of knowing, 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 not knowing, you know, forgetting, and then remembering, forgetting, forgetting, remembering, remembering. So it's not uh, knowing is not always there. Um, so I don't know how, is it just more of the quality of that knowing is always available if we tune into it? So what is it that... Well, the, yeah, it's it's sort of like that. It's it's the, uh, the, the, the essential, the quintessential chitta is always present. There's always knowing. Um, and it actually is is not different 
the 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 essence of that is not different whether you're confused or you're really bright and clear uh, it's not different actually for a dog a human being a dewa you know that the, there's a knowing is the knowing but uh, this comes back to this question about chitta and vijnana too um the experience, the immediate experience can be confused or clear, bright. You know, this is the, the modality of how it's experienced or expressed. Um, uh, the, the quality of, of, of just knowing is... Uh, is something that, that, that's always available. How we miss it is we identify with the sankharas. We identify with the objects. So we go off-center. And we're missing that experience of just clear knowing. But it's there all the time, whether we are tuned into it or not. The thing is to... to, is to uh, work with this practice of, of trying to to always be j just in the clear knowing. I have a question based on this discussion that you just had. Yes. So, if consciousness or vinyana is cognition of a phenomena or an object and the attribute of cognition or vijnana is very similar to chitta, which is also knowing a cognition kind. How do you tell the difference? Um, well, if there's a element of of grasping. Then, uh, then you're not purely in the in the chitta. Um, there's a Zen story about uh, uh, two monks arguing about the nature of mind, and one of them says the mind is like a mirror set up in a in a high place that uh, casts a brilliant light and illuminates the 10,000 things, and they are reflected in its face. And the other one said, that's close, but I don't think you've got it. He says, the way I see it, the mind is like a mirror set up in a high place, and it casts a brilliant light and illuminates the 10,000 things, but nothing is reflected in, in, it, in the mirror. So this is, you know, the chitta not taking into itself, not grasping anything. The, the, uh, the chitta knows the quality of, of pain, it knows the quality of pleasure, but it, it neither is painful nor pleasurable. You know, it knows anger, it knows calm, it knows desire, but it, it's none of those things. 
but if you're getting caught in those in those states, if you're grasping in any in any sense, then then you're not there. So the question is, practically, how do you tell the difference? It's a nice story, but how do you tell the difference? If if there's grasping, if if you're if you find you're 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 catching things like they're they're sticky, you're holding on to them, then that's that's oh, that that's a limited mind. That's that's operating only through uh, only through the modality of vijnana. But the pure chitta knows everything, but doesn't. Nothing is affects it. Nothing. It's not moved. So unless you are chitta yourself. No, don't don't make the mistake of of making a self out of the chitta. The chitta's void is empty. It's not. It's not a self. It's just a process of of knowing. Isn't that that we are shifting the paradigm that you are, you have a sudden jump from ordinary consciousness to the chitta, then you're looking at the world or the phenomena from the chitta's perspective rather than from the ordinary yes. consciousness. Yeah. In that sense, you become chitta. No. No, don't make, don't. Don't don't make the mistake of identifying yourself with chitta. It's not a self. It's just it's just an empty process. There's nothing happening. There's nothing there. Well, thank you very much. Sorry, is this on? Yeah. Um, sorry, Adan, I just had a question. Uh, can um, you raise your hand? I don't see who's sorry, speaking. I'm okay. Um, I was just thinking during the last meditation um, about when the Buddha was sat on the night of his enlightenment and he was kind of assailed by Mara. Mm -hmm. It suddenly struck me. Um, because I was having all kinds of imagery when I was meditating, which happens a lot. But actually, if I open my eyes, then the imagery goes. So, to my mind, it seems easier for... Um, yeah, so the question was, really, um, if, one, if one's going to achieve complete liberation on that particular night, um, is it possible to do it with your eyes open? <laughs> and it might sound like a stupid question, but mm -hmm. it's harder to achieve um, kind of jhanas, etc., in order with your eyes open. So, do you have to do you have to go through the jhanas to, in order to achieve that, or can you achieve complete liberation without um, achieving going through the jhanic process? Um. Without going through the, la I missed the last phrase. Of going through going the through the jhanas. Oh, going through the jhanas. Um, yeah, that that's something. That question is something that is um, somewhat uh, controverted within the tradition. There are different approaches. Um, strictly speaking, according to the Abhidhamma and Visuddhimagga. There's no liberation without jhana. 
But there is also mention in the suttas of a, a bare vipassana without it ever being explained or elaborated. It's, it's mentioned, in, I think, just in a couple of places. And of course, we we have uh, in later times development of vipassana traditions that either de-emphasize or don't do jhana work at all. And I know, for example, the Mahasi Sayadaw tradition, which I have some familiarity with, uh, they developed the theory that uh, you don't need to formally develop jhana, that you have a mind that's uh, almost at jhana and each moment and each object, and it enters full jhana for a single moment before it enters the unconditioned. Um, these are all kind of really technical quibbles, uh, in terms of actual practice, I th I th I think the um, you know and and you'll get all kinds of different answers to to this particular question. But I think a general rule is that the more samadhi you have, the deeper your immersion into samadhi and even into the jhanas, the easier. Vipassana will be the easier the arising of wisdom will be. That the, the that it it clears and it, it clarifies, pacifies, the tranquilizes the mind and makes it easier to to get that wisdom of seeing the actual workings of the mind, because you've kind of swept out the cobwebs and got things clear. Um. So it's it's something you have to find for yourself exactly the balance. I think a, a kind of useful rule of thumb is to develop as much samadhi as you can, whatever plateau you have, and then use that for as a as a launching point to do investigation. And then when the mind wearies with investigation, you refresh it with more samadhi. Now, in the case of the Buddha, um, he spoke in different places about different practice paths, but the one he spoke about the most often as a, as a you know, full, complete path was to go through all four jhanas and then using immersion from... Uh, emergence from jhana as the object for insight. It's also uh, true that you can't really do insight when you're in jhana because the mind's not moving. So it, it's not something... Um, it, it, it's different. It's a different development of mind, but it's complementary. Do you think that there's a way in the I'm thinking is it then there must be a way to stop the images if if the imagery becomes very intense? Yeah. What I'm thinking is that actually possibly it relates to the period before that night. So what's happened before that night is the lead up. Yeah. to that event, so that period before is equally as important. 
Well, you don't uh, about you know imagery that arises in the mind that becomes with the development of meditation that can you can go through phases where that becomes very strong, and the mind is throwing up a lot of imagery. The trick is not to become attached to it or to read too much into it. Like the, the Buddha in his in that episode where he's assailed by Mara, he 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 just dismissed Mara. You know, I know you, Mara. And he sat unmoving. You know, was no um he wasn't in any way identified or attached or uh even involved in, in struggle. It was just he was unmoved. Namara had came with all his vast array of uh, monstrous beings and riding elephants and everything else, and the Buddha just sat completely unmoved. So, and this is something some people get. It's a, a problem in their meditation. They get caught in. In, in imagery, and they, they, they read too much into it. They think it's like um, they see visions and they think it's something divine message or something, and they get, they can get make a big fuss about it, get caught in it. But just to see it as a product of your own mind, it's just nimitta. It's a good sign that it's arisen in one sense, because if you didn't have strong meditation, it wouldn't arise. But you can get caught there for a long time. Ajahn Mun write, um, talks about the Well, Ajahn Mahabua wrote the biography of Ajahn Mun, and he, he talked about Ajahn Mun being caught in those states for a long time in his practice until he just kind of dismissed them. And he was seeing and he, all kinds of um, visions of, of you know, uh, Dhamma-related themes, you know, very kind of inspiring images of Buddha, Dhamma wheels, processions of monks, all kinds of things like that. And he's caught for a very long time, and then he just one day decided, oh, this is not going anywhere, and just dismissed them, ceased identifying with them, and they, they pretty quickly dissolved. Thank you. Ajahn? Over here? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it it's hard to tell us go to the speakers as <laughs> yeah. a disembodied over, over here doesn't mean yeah, okay. anything, I understand. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my question is not very sharp, so I'll do my best. And if, it, if it's a dud, so be it. Um, over the weekend, I noticed I was having some pains in my, in my legs. Uh, and um, then Sunday, I realized, okay, I, I must have some type of virus or a little bit of flu. And my energy was kind of low and flat. And I actually felt very good with that. Like, okay, that's the way it is. I didn't struggle with it. I got extra rest. I stayed warm. And my mental states were, were pretty, I don't want to say pleasant, but they were accepting. Yeah. And I was sitting, uh, not doing the full schedule, but I felt pretty much in the moment and present with uh, my breath or whatever was arising. I think physically I got a little bit better. And then... The last two days, I noticed I seem to be just sort of going through the motions of being here, of this retreat. And it took me a while to recognize that this was unpleasant, this experience. But I was really kind of just lost in it. And then today, 
looking at it more carefully, I notice, okay, what, what I'm experiencing here is discouragement. This is a discouraged mind. And what I was wondering, again, whether there's, it's sort of a dull question. Um, if my mind was sharper, would I, would I see this kind of mental state more clearly? Or is this kind of mental state kind of amorphous and vague and difficult to, to get a sense of? I mean, I, I think, for example, when I'm angry, obviously, that's very clear. Yeah. So are, are there mental states which sort of by their nature are more difficult to get a f the flavor of, the sense of, and therefore it's easier to sort of be mired in them? Yeah, I think, there, I think it, it is true. Like, like the, uh, the group, of, uh, the broad, broad group of mental states that come under sloth and torpor, right? Like dullness of mind is difficult to get, can be difficult to get out of because it's sort of, this is down, can be like a downward spiral. You know, you're lacking mindfulness to find your way out of that. Um, you need to, to, to uh, rouse energy, vigorously resist that, you know, falling into that. Um, and it can, if you're really caught in it, it can be helpful to, even just now and again to just, you know, poke into the mind uh, you know, a, a thought, like a sharp, you know, wake up, like try and rouse yourself. Um, if you're caught in, sometimes pe people can get into, we were talking about this before with one of the other gentlemen's question about um, you know, a kind of daisy mind. If you're caught in confused mind, uh, sometimes just to uh, clearly clearly mark in the, in the mind, here is confusion, confusion, confusion. Even you just have that, that's a moment of mindfulness. You're just poking in there. And that can begin to break it up. And you can begin to, to wake up and become clear. Thank you. Um, I have one question going back to Vinyana. Um, I'm always puzzled that when... Uh, I look at the Paticca Samuppada, the dependent origination, that you know it starts with Avicca, and it's not the next one is not Vinyana, the next yes. one is Sankara, and yes. then then yes. the uh, yes. Vinyana is coming. And I wonder whether actually you know what we call Vinyana in general is so much infused by Avicca in a, when, in a sense of, um, how to say, you know, the Sankara forms of, of me here and a word out there, and then everything is perceived and uh, cognized. I don't know what the right word is in terms, on, on, on that basis. So then the Vinyana in itself is eluded. But I don't know what your perspective is on that. Um, well, in the in the dependent origination, Paticca Samuppada, the, you're correct. The first 
the first nidana usually given is awija, ignorance. And because of ignorance, sankaras, and because of sankaras, vijnana. Uh, and that is uh, explained as referring to uh, the process by which we come into being. Because of ignorance, we make uh, we make kama, we act. That's sankaras. They're uh, karmic formations in, the, in this this specific meaning of sankara. And uh, those condition the vijnana, which is defined as patisandhi vijnana, which is the rebirth-linking consciousness. So this is to do with coming from a previous lifetimes into the present lifetime. That the awijas in the background, that's because until we're arahants, there's always a widja present. And then our actions in the world, things we do, are not fully informed by wisdom. They're stumbling in the dark. There's a widja there. And that sets up the the, the karma for that conditions the, the first consciousness that arises in a new existence because of that accumulated karma from the past. That's patisandhi vijnana. And then uh, with, um, with that then follows nama rupa, name and form, the unfolding of the organism, the full package of mind and body. The first spark in a new lifetime is that Padisandi Vinyana. I don't know if that gives to yeah. your question. Thank you. I mean that that is uh, very important in in the that context context of the three lifetime uh, uh, understanding. <coughs> but if you understand. The Paticca Samuppada also in, in a kind of moment-to-moment -moment, uh, origination. <laughs> How would it be then? Well, well, the same, but on a smaller scale. That um, our actions condition where our, our consciousness alights. Okay, thank you. Ajahn, I have a question on that discussion. In the dependent origination, when we say there is no self, obviously, how do you have a rebirth of the same no self? But this question is, is not that. I think uh, uh, if we apply this, dependent origination from moment to moment, would that solve that problem of no self and rebirth? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, the two, like the momentary interpretation and the multiple lifetime interpretation are the same thing on different scales. And the whole issue around not self and rebirth is is a that that whole paradox comes about because of a, a misunderstanding of what's going on at this moment. 
if that's understood, then there's no there's no uh, contradiction. It's just the same thing happening on a larger time scale. So we're almost out of time. If I can maybe I'll maybe take one more question and then have to wrap it up. And um, I had more practical question. Um, I have a very or my mind is very visual, and um, I started meditating with Anapanasati. Um, it was going very well until there uh, some fear arose, and I basically well my practice regressed. Uh, then I started uh, concentrating on Budo, uh -huh. um, and now I notice my mind is. Uh, it kind of thinks, okay, Budo is familiar, I'm just going to switch off. Or um, I hear, or I notice thoughts running in the background, and it's it's different kind of concentration on Budo, and then you have those thoughts in the background. And then my mind goes into visual, whatever it makes out of it, and then it feels like falling asleep. It, it's not really falling asleep, because the one minute I'm doing Budo and I'm concentrating on Budo. And then in another minute, I am aware that I drift off into some kind of fantasy and then I come back to it again. Uh, so it seems like the mind thinks Budo or Anapanasati, if I try to go back to breathing, it thinks like, okay, I know this already, I'm bored with it. And it switches off or it wanders into um, dreaming, just running in the movies, not like dreaming, nodding off, but just some kind of movie or something like that, just yeah. images coming up. Yeah. Is there some kind of other methods? Because Anapanasati doesn't seem to work anymore, and Buddha... Have you either. ever tried doing casino meditation? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not... Uh, is it the, the, the small, round, like uh, colorful yeah, forms? Like, yeah, if you say you're very visually oriented, that might give you a an anchor if you have a you can when you're developing samadhi you you arbit you begin by arbitrarily choosing an object at one of the sense bases if you're doing uh uh it's this, it's this touch base tactile sense you're feeling the breath right if you're uh, doing um the budo it's a, it's uh either you could say the hearing sense or the mind sense but it's you know it, it's auditory anyway. It's like you're conjuring up a, a, a sound, listening to it. Um, and, and you keep you say you keep drifting back into like visual things. Yes, because Maybe. also if I try like nada, the the sound of silence, it also goes back into yeah. more visual. You, you might want to experiment with the with doing a casino meditation. You can read up on it and see how it's done. Basically, is it's you you have a a simple physical object, like a colored disc, and you, you actually have an external object that you use to begin with until you can visualize it clearly in your mind and you can dispense with the physical object. And you just hold that as the object. Thank you. Okay, okay. I think we'll, it's 5.30. I think we'll have to wrap it up. <laughs>